0: Hey, listeners, this is your host, Jesse, from Cult Cinema Circle. Uh, before we get into our episode about 10 Things I Hate About You today, I wanted to let you know that you can also check me out on the Horror careers podcast, where I guested on there, where we talk about a little movie called All About Evil from 2010. Uh, I'm so, so happy to have been a part of that episode. Uh, I've been listening to Trace and Joe for a while, and I was definitely inspired by their podcast to like make this one. So super surreal, super awesome to be able to guest on their show. So please go check that out if you haven't already done so and if you're new here uh hi i'm jesse i run this cult cinema circle podcast uh feel free to listen to any of the episodes i've already recorded i got some new stuff coming up as well Uh, but without further ado let's move on with the rest of our show And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle Podcast. My name is Jesse and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head over to Padua High School. Uh, We're going to go play some paintball and go throw balls of paint at our friends, I guess. Um, And then also, I guess we'll fall in love with this guy who seems to be interested in us all of a sudden. But... Anyway, today we're going to be covering 1999's 10 Things I Hate About You. Now, the reason I wanted to cover this is because I have covered a couple of teen movies on the pod before. Um, It is one of my kind of like favorite quote-unquote like genres. I I love a good teen film here here and there. And this is one that I definitely remember seeing when I was a little younger. Probably when I was a teenager. And so that was my history with the movie in particular. I just, it's always been one where I do enjoy most of it. (laughs) I will say that there are some things that um, maybe don't age the best all the time. But overall, I think, um, you know, the big thing for me in this movie is good old Heath Ledger in it. Because I'm sorry, like, I just think he's really attractive in the movie. Um, And also, if you don't already know this, I don't know if I've said it before, uh, I am also a huge, I have a huge crush on David Krumholtz. And so I I will always have one on him. And he's in this movie. So of course, (laughs) you know, why not? But yeah, I mean, this movie, like it was definitely a part of the kind of 1999 teen movie boom that came with like this film which is technically a um kind of a Disney pick because it's a touchstone picture uh so it's on Disney plus right now and things like that but also like you know I mean yeah everything from like this film you know Jawbreaker uh, and like American Pie and like All these different films that were kind of targeted to teens, really, whether they were PG-13 or R-rated. So it really kind of came out of that. And, you know, I think this one is fondly remembered by a lot of people, of course. And, yeah, I thought, why not just cover it, you know? Um, And it is interesting. It's, It's also a part of the adaptations that came out during the 90s too so this movie clueless i would think is another one a couple different ones that came out where they were uh not shake well this is a shakespeare adaptation but like clueless is a a jane austen adaptation and You know, even like She's All That is technically Pygmalion. So like, you know, it's an adaptation of of literature turned into a movie that's targeted to kids and to teens, really. Yeah, I I just thought it'd be a fun one to cover. And, uh, you know, there's something to dig into with this. Uh, But without further ado, let's move on to our figures of the film. So 10 Things I Hate About You was released on March 31st of 1999 and was directed by Gil Younger, produced by Andrew Lazar and was written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. Uh, These two ladies were the same ones who wrote Legally Blonde in 2001. We're looking at an estimated budget of $13 million and a gross US and Canada box office of $38,178,166 and then a gross worldwide box office of $53,479,734. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 71% on the Tomato Meter and a 69% audience score. We're looking at IMDb score of 7.3 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.9 out of five. For our cast of characters, we have Julia Stiles as Katarina Kat Stratford, Heath Ledger as Patrick Verona, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Cameron James, Larissa Olenek as Bianca Stratford, Larry Miller as Walter Stratford, Andrew Keegan as Joey Donner, David Krumholtz as Michael Ekman, Susan Mae Pratt as Mandela, Gabrielle Union as Chastity Church, Daryl Mitchell as Mr. Morgan, Allison Janney as Miss Perky, David Leisure as Mr. Chapin, and then we have the band Letters to Cleo, that play uh, the band that plays at Club Skunk and at the end of the movie, and then we have the band Save Ferris, who plays the band that is playing at the prom. Some critical response quotes about 10 Things I Hate About You are as follows. We have... Liam Lacey from Globe and Mail, who state the notion of a contemporary high school as a hotbed of romantic intrigue is utterly apt, and the performances almost make the update work. We then have Jim Lane from the Sacramento News and Review, who state, novice writers Karen McCullough Lutz and Kirsten Smith should not quit their day jobs. They smear the screen with flat contrivances and dreadful sitcom dialogue. And then we have Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle, who states the movie whimped out by blanding down the story and the characters to the point where she isn't really a shrew and he isn't really a maniac. So before we move into kind of a plot summary about 10 Things I Hate About You, I thought we could just go over a little bit about what is this movie based off of, and then also just how did it come to be. So if you don't already know, this movie is a, an adaptation of The Tame of the Shrew by William Shakespeare. And so the basic idea of this story, I got this information from Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. This guy, uh, Lucentio, who is uh, Cameron in this movie, he loves this... Ch- Bianca, who is obviously played uh, in this movie as Bianca, and, but he cannot court her until her shrewish older sister, Catrina, who is Cat in this movie, marries. This eccentric guy, uh, Petrucio, who is the Patrick Verona character, uh, marries the reluctant Katharina, and he uses a number of tactics to try to render her an obedient wife. And so Lucencio marries. Bianca at the end, and in a contest at the end of the show, um, Katharina proves to be the most obedient wife. I like the TLDR that they have in this, which is pretty much saying that Catherine doesn't want to get married. Petruccio marries her and compels her to be obedient. Everyone is happy? The end. Um, So that's pretty much what that is. I mean, if you wanted to go into further detail about what this... Uh, show is about, uh, be my guest, pretty much. It's like a, a drunkard is like watching this play, and the whole play is pretty much what this whole um, show is. So, but that's only so interesting, even though I do definitely give like other plot summaries, <laughs> um, like in Cruel Intentions and Clueless and stuff like that. But again, you know, that's pretty much the basic idea of what The Taming of the Shrew is about. But about this movie though, uh, how did it come to be, really? Uh, so, in this time, when this came out, there was a whole lot of teen movies that came about, and there were other adaptations, of course, as well. Um, everything from, like I said, like Clueless, Cruel Intentions, She's All That. A lot of these were, you know, these different kind of um, adaptations that were coming up. And so pretty much with 10 Things I Hate About You, it had a whole lot of people who would then go on to have like these uh, really varied careers. And it was definitely a breakthrough for a lot of people, uh, which is super cool. So as I stated before, Karen McCullough Lutz um, and Kirsten Smith, they're the ones who wrote this movie. And they're the ones who also wrote Legally Blonde in 2001. But Kirsten Smith in An Oral History uh, on RogerEbert.com from 2019, um, she says that in 1996, she was in Los Angeles uh, working for Sinatel, reading scripts and query letters, and I answered a query from Karen McCullough, who was requesting sample scripts. Karen McCullough herself was saying that she was in Denver writing scripts and working as a freelance publicist for an environmental nonprofit. She came out to LA and had drinks with Kirsten, and they started writing an unproduced Screenplay about on cocktail napkins. Um, They were both fans of Clueless from Amy Heckerling that was based off of Emma. Kirsten says that um, she they wanted to find a fairy tale or fable uh, or novel of which they could base a modern story. So someone suggested the Taming of the Shrew. In our version, of course, the shrew wouldn't be tamed; she was too shrewd. Um, we considered a gender reversal, making the lead male the shrew. Uh, before we concluded that all high school guys are shrews, um, so we sent each other drafts by mail, and it took about a year. And we wrote cat is kind of the character. We wanted to see um, as like an indie rock riot girl. Um, and Kirsten was into that at the time. They went to Sundance in 1987 and they circulated the script, but it didn't really take flight. And then Karen McCullough is stated saying that it landed at Disney, which wanted to make one teen movie that year. Um, its choices was between 10 things and apparently a script called School Slut. And they did another rewrite and they greenlit the movie. Um, still, Disney asked why Cat was so angry. And um, Kirsten uh, said that all teenagers are angry. So you greenlit a movie that's wonderful and lovely, but now you got to go cast it. So Gil Younger, um, who was an Emmy-nominated TV director who made his feature debut with this movie, um, he said he was very taken with the script. Its tone was smart, uniquely intelligent, and funny, and casting was not an easy process. So apparently, Disney executives gently, quote unquote, encouraged Younger to cast Dawson's Creek stars of james vanderbeek and Kitty holmes uh as patrick and kat and those would eventually go to julia styles and heath ledger i will tell you this right now as somebody who has not watched the entirety of dawson's creek but i've watched like a couple seasons of it um just go watch varsity blues if you want to see how james vanderbeek is as an actor Okay, um, and then Katie Holmes. I, mean, I don't dislike her or anything, but her as Cat wouldn't have worked. She's very much more the the Bianca character, if anything. And I don't know what the. F- I don't even know about mm, what they think Dawson could do, really. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> Kirsten said that the casting people sent out audition tapes. Um, he she remembers Josh Hartnett and. Ashton Kutcher, they read for Patrick and Katie Holmes. Kate Hudson and Rachel Lee Cook read for Kat. Now, I mean, again, Katie Holmes wouldn't have worked like that. Kate Hudson, uh, apparently her mom, Goldie Hawn, uh, literally was like, yeah, I don't like the script. Don't take it. And then Honestly, Rachel Lee Cook, I mean, like maybe it could have worked. Again, uh, you know, she is just kind of a little bit of an oddball, quote unquote, and she's all that, for example. Uh, But I'm sure she could have played it, I guess. So Andrew Keegan is is also quoted in this article as well. I do not support Andrew Keegan with him being like with his weird little cult he has, but at one time he was uh, known teen actor. He says that he was thrilled by the prospect of playing Shakespeare, being able to do this would be kind of cool. He remembers that Joseph Gordon Levitt, who was from Third Rock from the Sun, um, and him were among the first people cast in this movie. Uh, Julia Stiles said that she had been reading Taming of the Shrew in exactly that year. So the adaptation really appealed to her. Um, Ten Things was her first big role after a few years of auditioning, um, but always was told that she was too serious. Getting hired to play Kat was like a thrilling affirmation that maybe her seriousness was okay. Um, Larissa Olenek, who had already made a name for herself uh, with her own show on Nickelodeon called The Secret Role of Alex Mack, any early 90s kids would probably remember it, um, where she was literally the star of it. She said there were many rounds of auditioning. Um, I really wanted the part of Kat, but then I did a chemistry read as Bianca opposite Julia Stiles, and something felt right about that. And it does make sense, because these two characters are very opposite from each other, and when you put Julia Stiles and Larissa Oleynik next to each other, it, there's something that makes sense with that, for sure. Gil uh, is quoted saying most of the girls who came to audition uh, wearing sexy clothing. Uh, Julia, she came in wearing baggy pants and a t-shirt, her hair up in a bun. She wasn't working the, like, look how pretty I am angle. Um, When she shook my hand and she looked into my eyes, she was, uh, he was struck with a uh, depth and a maturity. Uh, this combined with her poise um, was formidable and kind of got her the role really. And Julia Silas's, um said that uh, this is the first role, Cat was the first role that I'd read for a young woman that was just refreshingly, quote, feisty. Um, I loved the script, especially because it had a healthy bite to it. For a romantic comedy to have a cynical sense of humor, but also be truly romantic stood out at the time for her. But the director was close to start a shoot, and then they didn't have a male lead yet. Um, so Marsha Ross, uh, the casting guru, who also cast like Clueless and other movies as well, and her associates, they looked at about a thousand candidates. But Gill is said, you know, that he wasn't going to cast the guy until he saw him. And there were five casting women and me in the room when the next one walked in, and he was Heath Ledger, who was then eighteen. And he felt as soon as he walked in, if this guy can speak English, I'll cast him. And he had already, he had the energy and that soulful sexuality of a movie star. I wanted to see how nimble he could be if I could ask him to change the tone with a few lines of the script. And he was great. When he walked out of the door, the door closed. They all knew that they wanted him. Heath Ledger at this time had been doing a few things in Australia. um, Had been on a couple TV shows there, but hadn't You know, obviously come here yet, and obviously he was able to make it happen. By the time that the Magnificent Seven, that they call it, uh, arrived in Seattle in the summer of 98, Gabrielle Union and also David Krumholtz, who is my super duper crush, and I love him so much, uh, respectively, uh, twenty and uh, 25 and 20, so they were a bit of the older people in the cast, um, eased into the roles of big sister and big brother for the group. Um, so Heath Ledger and Keegan were 19 at the time. And then I uh, actually Joseph Gordon Lovitt, Alyssa Olanik, and Julia Siles were all seventeen in the um in this as well um so they're also teenagers which i thought was kind of funny um but yeah apparently also heath ledger brought a didgeridoo to the set because why not um (laughs) and yeah it just seemed like they kind of got on together which was nice it's very cute i mean you're going like someplace where literally you're in like seattle or whatever you know and you're able to just like make this movie kind of cool of course you had the people who like you know they knew who Andrew Keegan was because he had been on like Party of Five for example so of course you had like girls who like loved him and wanted his autograph and stuff and yeah I mean in this article they talk about there are many reasons that Ten Things enjoys like a robust afterlife Um, they say that one of it is because it's a coming of age movie in which not only the characters but also the actors playing them seem to come of age before your eyes another is that many high school and college professors use this film as a tool to better understand the bard. Um some say that the movie eliminates the misogyny of the play, which maybe does. I I don't know. Um uh, but there are some say that it has aged well in a way. Um, you know, and perhaps maybe it has. I will also say that they did have somebody um <laughs> I love how they got like a Shakespearean scholar for this article, just to give them a little bit of cred. So Rebecca Munson, who is a um, Shakespeare scholar and the project manager for Princeton, uh, center for digital humanities is quoted as saying the underlying question, um, can an independent minded woman still pursue her own path? If she's romantically engaged remains vital to today's students. The tension between ambition and assertiveness on the one hand and the compromises required by romantic engagement on the other still apply regardless of gender. Catherine's speech closing the Shakespeare play advocates, often with a wink, that wives obey husbands. Kat's sonnet in the movie says, I like you in spite of myself, which isn't incompatible with her pursuing her own goals and desires. So that's what that scholar had to say about that. But yes, I think, I mean, this movie, like... It came out uh, during the boom of teen movies that came out in 1999. I mean, it did fine enough where it made its money back and everything like that. Probably did good on home video sales, if anything. And it ended up, you know, becoming this movie that was a little little bit different. I mean, this is still a Touchstone movie, so it's still like a a Disney film, technically. It's on Disney Plus right now. So, like, you know, it is that. But, like, if anything, yeah. I mean, like, you know... It got like a TV series for some reason. I don't really know why. But anyway, I, I just think like, you know, this movie has gone on to have a little bit of a legacy to it um, and that's fine and dandy and all. I mean, you know, for example, it was referenced in the um, the movie from last year, which I loved uh, Do Revenge. You know, there was some little bits in there um, and all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, it, it's gone on to have its own little, little life uh, after it's come out. And there are still people who really enjoy it for, you know, whatever reasons that they have. It it has had this like second life to it if anything. But with all that being said, let's now move into a plot breakdown summary character breakdown, whatever the hell it is about this movie, 10 Things I Hate About You. So we begin our film where we are introduced to our main character Kat Stratford, uh, played by Julia Stiles in this film Uh, she is driving um, in her like vintage ass car and she is parked uh, at a stop sign next to these like girls in like a little convertible um, which is all like bubbly pop music, things like that and then Kat is listening to Bad Reputation by Joan Jett and so this is kind of just showing us what kind of person Kat is um she's kind of standoffish not even kind of she's very standoffish this is the, how we're supposed to kind of take her um that you know she is the shrew of our piece if anything but then we, we have a Bare Naked Ladies playing um where it's one week uh and love that song it's great uh, but pretty much, uh, we have our intro to her, but then also we have our intro to our kind of other main character, Cameron James, who is a new student at Padua High School uh, in Seattle. He is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who at this time had been on Third Rock from the Sun um, and was kind of a child actor in his own right, obviously, because he's on a sitcom. But he is our other main character. He's one of our male main characters, really. So he is a new student and he uh, is... He is in the office of the guidance counselor of the school, Miss Perky, played by Allison Janney, who uh, at this time would have just been in Drop Dead Gorgeous, uh, and also would have been on the West Wing, and as well. Um, and it's always lovely to see Allison Janney in anything really. She's playing Miss Perky, and so she's just like kind of the antithesis of what you think of as a guidance counselor, if you will. Like she uh, says something about like how there's a student who shit for brains, and then Cameron's like, "Wait, what did you just say?" Like, like, am I in the right office? <laughs> and all of this, which is just really silly. But you also get in the scene as well because, you know, Cameron's getting his, like, schedule or whatever. And I whatever. We also find out that Miss Perky, in the meantime, also does, like, kind of amateur erotica, she, like, writes on her school-issued computer. I don't know uh, the legality or the ethics of that, but whatever. I'm not a fucking lawyer. But anyway, so... <laughs> uh but this is also where we get our intro as well to we don't know who he is quite yet kind of but we will learn uh that's patrick verona played by heath ledger rest in peace and he said something about like how he sent to the guidance counselor uh because he apparently exposed himself in the lunchroom said something about a bratwurst and then miss perky then uses the term bratwurst in her erotica which is just really funny and silly but anyway yeah i mean this is what you're seeing. Uh, but because Cameron is a new student he is of course having to be taken around and so he is uh given the tour by michael ekman who is kind of our geek who's played by the one and only david Crumholtz, my in my head husband um that if he was gay i guess but anyway we see that he's getting kind of the lay of the land very 90s teen movie style so like you have um the different cliques that are a part of everything so like you know you have the cowboys for example don't know why and then also like Future MBAs, which apparently Michael was kind of a part of, but because he didn't have like the latest like cell phone or some shit, um, he was kind of like left out of there. Cameron's getting to lay the land and everything like that, as you do in a teen movie. But then he sees this girl who he pretty much just like falls in love with at first sight, Um, and this is the beautiful and popular sophomore Bianca Stratford, played by Larissa. Uh, Larissa who uh, at this point had been on Nickelodeon, uh, The Secret World of Alex Mack, and this was kind of her first big movie role she had done. Fun little fact, too, about Larissa Olenek is that she also had been in Les Miserables in Northern California with the guy on Boy Meets World, Ryder Strong they were in, like, the same production together, and they knew each other when they were kids. So that's kind of fun. But, yeah, I, I found that out on Pod Meet's World, and I thought that was super fun. And, and actually, uh, there's a documentary called The Orange Years. Anybody who's a Nickelodeon person who, from the 90s, like, really liked that stuff, if you haven't already seen this documentary, it's on Hulu. Pretty much this uh, documentary, uh, Larissa Oedlaniak's in it, because she was on a TV show, obviously, on Nickelodeon, and she, I think, even talked about how, like, you know, it took her a minute to get this show, really. I think it was that or it might have been when they actually interviewed her on Nickelodeon interviewed her some way I think it was when um oh god Anthony Padilla uh, he interviewed her and I think they did talk about somewhere some way that it was actually kind of hard for her to get that role in Alex Mack and they weren't set on her for at first um, but then she really ended up you know obviously getting that role in and this kind of then catapulted her into being, you know, in this other role that she has in 10 Things I Hate About You. But enough about Alyssa Olenek though. This is not a podcast about her. She's she's great. Anyway, but we find out that, from Michael actually, that Bianca is apparently she's vapid and conceited but that also her overprotective father does not allow her or her older sister to date. Because um, again, we find that Kat is Bianca's older sister. We also have the scene, because uh, I'm trying to think if it's before the uh, home, uh, when we go to the Stratford home, we do have our, uh, scene with Mr. Morgan played by Daryl Mitchell. Uh, so Daryl Mitchell is, uh, Mr. Morgan and he is the English teacher. Um, he's kind of this no nonsense black guy in a movie that's very, very white. Uh, it's him and Gabrielle union, like pretty much. But anyway, uh, but I do love him though I like a lot of the adults in this movie to be honest like Miss Perky is amazing and then of course like Mr. Uh, Stratford is, is a funny in his own way too but we'll get to him but anyway I, I really do like him because he's kind of no nonsense like he, the intro to him and then you also have the intro to Joey Donner played by Andrew Keegan who is a little weird because he has like a little weird cult or something now but at the time he was like a teen guy he was a teen movie star I guess like he was on like Boy Meets World before for and on other sitcoms and stuff so like he was a well-known guy I guess but we find that Joey Donner's kind of like this asshole we find out he's like a model apparently he does like little regional things here and there but like you know he's kind of full of himself um, but we do have a classroom scene where we kind of set up that Kat and him don't get along very well we also have like I also love because like Mr. Morgan uh, says something about like because Kat's going on about like you know why we have to read this thing and why can't we read something from like Sylvia Plath or Charlotte de Beauvoir or or whoever, whatever the hell. Anyway, but like um, Mr. Morgan is all like, and Kat, thank you for this. Like, you know, I know it must've been so hard for you as a, you know, middle-class weight, female or whatever because uh, he himself is a black man so like you know he's just like oh I'm so sad that you've had to go through whatever fucking <laughs> strife you feel like you've had to go through whatever anyway <laughs> I like how he also says he's like but the next time you want to do whatever the hell you know t- ask them why they can't have why they can't read something written by a black man and then of course like these white Rastafarians are like that's right man and he's and Mr. Morgan's just like don't give me start on you too <laughs> I love Mr. Morgan. Morgan. Morgan so much. I really do. He's such a great character. I wish there was more of him. But anyway, but yeah, so this is just kind of setting up that everyone kind of thinks that Kat herself is just like standoffish and is a shrew. Um, And so we have all that. She gets sent to the principal's office. She gets sent to the front office. She goes to Miss Perky again um, where she is still writing erotica or whatever. And this is also just kind of showing more of Kat. Like apparently she uh, kicked some guy in the balls. Um, We find out and she has like her little back and forth with Miss Perky again more Alice and Janney in this movie but you know whatever it's fine it wasn't her movie like it's whatever but anyway I I do like but I think at this point we're just tra- setting up the fact that like Kat is this kind of quote insufferable person or she's just you know very intense to be around which doesn't always you know It isn't always the most ideal for everyone as a teenager. You know, it is what it is. Like how she says to Miss Perky, she's like, I'll let you get back to Reginald in his quivering member. She's like, quivering member? I like that. So obviously Miss Perky is just very, like... I want to read some of her uh, erotica honestly I would be kind of down for it we have the time at school and all of that is being set up as well we also kind of get an intro to Chastity uh who is Gabrielle Union she's the best friend I guess of Bianca uh literally she's playing like a teenager when she is like literally 26 or something at this point but Gabrielle Union's an icon so we love her but we go back home to the Stratfords though we do end up getting there and pretty much we get our intro to Mr. Stratford, played by Larry Miller. If you don't know who he is, he is from like The Princess Diaries. He plays um, the guy who gives Mia Thermopolis a makeover. He's also this um, the store manager uh, at the store where Julia Roberts goes after she becomes like rich or whatever. Um, big mistake, huge. Um, that's Larry Miller. He's like the the store manager there. We pretty much get the idea that Mr. Stratford, what it is, is that Bianca wants to date. And she wants to, you know, be able to, she wants to be able to like go out and date like normal teenagers, quote unquote. But the reason that Mr. Stratford is um, not keen on his daughter's dating is a, I believe his wife and him had split up. I thought for a while, I thought for the longest time, like the mother was dead in this situation, but I don't think that was the case because at some point here, they do talk about how she left or whatever. Um, So not that she died. It was just that, you know, she left. So that's probably number one a little bit Um, but then also just he is also an obstetrician gynecologist where he is up to his uh elbows in like placenta all day delivering babies and so he like talks to the girls about that a little bit but he has that rule of like oh hey you can't do this but then uh he comes around on it um and he decides that he's going to change the rule where bianca can date only when cat does and then she's just like, Bianca's like, oh God, like you suck. And then like, um, Kat's like, you know, you suck. Like you're know, mimicking her, which is just kind of funny, but yeah. So, but Bianca wants to actually date Joey Donner. I don't think she discloses that right away, but she does want to date him. Um, but again, Mr. Straffner doesn't let her do that. And so, yeah, they declare that, you know, they can date only when Kat does. And knowing that antisocial attitude, uh, will make this not a thing, uh, again I think that <laughs> Walter kind of did that because he was like um, you know nobody's going to date my oldest daughter because she is kind of a you know, bitch so why not like well let's just do this we see that there is a scene um, that we have after we've gone to the Stratford home because that's the only home we really go to throughout the whole movie like that's the only one we don't get anybody else's backstory really because um, we kind of don't need to I guess like these are our main characters Cameron though asks Bianca out and she informs him of this new rule that they have, um, but the thing is, is like uh, Cameron asks her out, but like she doesn't even like really notice him. Like I, she calls him by the wrong name, I think, because all they know is that like um, I think they have French class together, or he's like, oh yeah, I speak French, and like you know, I can tutor you sometime or whatever. Which fun little fact: Joseph Gordon-Levitt actually is uh, at one point in his life. I, maybe he might still be. I don't know. I I don't have to call him. I guess. Anybody have his number? But anyway. Um, um, he actually is, has been fluent in French or might still be fluent in French. Cause that's what he like went to college for and all that stuff. Like that was like a language he studied forever. So that's kind of cool. A little fun fact about him. But anyway, but as a pretense to allowing her to date though, she kind of says like to him, she's like, Hey, like maybe, you know, for me to be able to date you, my sister has to date somebody, so maybe you can try to, like, see if you can find someone to get with Cat or whatever. And so what we decide, or what he decides, because I think he brings this uh, to Mike's attention, deciding, like, and they have a whole thing of, like, you know, I think they have, like, a whole scene of, like, trying to get to see who will be willing to try to date Cat or whatever, and there's a bunch of people who just don't want to, um, and you see that whole scene with that. Um, But what they decide is that they decide that they want to get this guy, Patrick Verona, because again, he is kind of the image, the mirror image of Kat, because he is somebody who uh, people have all these kind of rumors about like, oh, he was doing this last summer or he was doing that or blah, da da da. da. And so he is as mysterious, I guess, in a way as like cat is a little bit, or, you know, he's just kind of as uh, intense as she is perhaps. And anyway, so, uh, Patrick though, scares him off because I think like literally, uh, <laughs> Cameron tries to talk to him like in woodshop or something and uh, Patrick takes a drill and, like, like literally, like, uh, drills through one of the French books or something. Like, it's so stupid. But again, they're like, well, he's the only one who can kind of match her intensity, so fucking we need to get him, right? We see that uh, Mike, being the good old friend he is, he convinces—because, again, he's just always working— um, <laughs> He decides to convince Joey, Joey Donner, um, to pay Patrick to take Kat out because they even have the scene where like um, they say we need somebody who's like, you know, this person who's like uh, who has money and is dumb. And they think, oh, Joey Donner, we can do that because pretty much what they're going to do, it's like a whole fucking weird thing. But like. So get Joey to uh, pay Patrick to date Kat so that Joey can then go out with her sister, pretty much. That's the basic idea, I guess. Uh, but again, it's under the pretense that, you know... a Joey will be allowed to date Bianca so Patrick agrees to the deal but he also kind of raises his prices a little bit as well but so he decides like okay I'm gonna do this like why not and it is kind of like this again it's in the the wonderful pantheon that is the teen bet movie because this does kind of fall into it a little bit of like hey I'm going to like you know um I'm gonna pay for you to do this pretty much um so she's all that does that can't buy me love kind of does that too and love don't cost a thing as well it does that as well um so i kind of put that in a similar category a little bit but anyway cat rebuffs a few of his advances though because again she's just kind of this intense chick you know she's just somebody and again i can only really for me at least i definitely think there is something to be said that like you know cat herself is kind of this like hardcore uber-feminist and whatever the representation of that is, I mean, again, I I am only so familiar with feminist theories and I don't know if I could do a deep dive on that or whatever but again I think she kind of constitutes this very specific type of like wave of feminism or whatever where she almost comes off as kind of like hating of men or whatever honestly but this then kind of this then kind of gets into what comes up later uh, which again some people have had some issue with that as well um, of why Cat is the way she is but again we'll get to that later but anyway, so, but yeah, I mean, like, what they decide to do, though, because, because again, like, there is this whole, because again, Patrick's okay with putting himself out there, but Kat doesn't want him for any of it, right? Right. So what they decide to do is, what they decide to do is that uh, Mike and Cameron, they decide to ask Bianca, they're like, you know, all right, well, what are her likes and her dislikes, right? Um, Because you're able to find that stuff out as her sister. So, like, you know, finding out that, like, she doesn't want to date somebody who smokes. And so for Patrick, he has to, like, quit smoking. (laughs) Um, And, like, you know, uh, she likes... Um, this band, you know, and like, she really, she's really into this band, for example, and they're coming and, you know, she has tickets to their upcoming concert that's in town. You know, she likes these kinds of movies or this kind of food or like whatever. Right. So they're trying to figure out what the dis uh, the dislikes and likes are pretty much um, so that you can mold Patrick into what Kat would want. So armed with this information, though, Patrick decides he starts to win Kat's interest. So the way he does this, for example, is um, the big thing that he does is he goes to a show of Kat's favorite band, um, who is played by uh, Letters to Cleo, um, who has a couple different songs throughout this movie, uh, and also at the end. But anyway, oh, we also have her friend uh, Mandela, played by Susan May Pratt, who did this movie, and also, the same year, did was uh Melissa Joan Hart's best friend in Drive Me Crazy, but anyway, so uh, because that's kind of like her best friend in this film. But they go to this, this, they go to this concert though, and Patrick is there as well. And again, it's these couple different things. Like, there was th- that, I believe, there was that um scene. I think before that, there was a scene where I believe Kat like does something to Joey's car, <laughs> like she backs into it, and like you know, again, because she doesn't like Joey we've already kind of established that this is during the times where Patrick was trying to win you know her over a little bit but the way he kind of wins her interest or at least piques her interest if anything is when he goes to this show of Cat's Favorite Band um he goes there as if he's going there because he likes them um and so he's talking about like you know oh there are no this but blah 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 and so This is kind of piquing her interest of like, oh, okay, well, I wonder who this guy is. Like, he must be kind of interested, but like, "Eh, I don't really want anybody. But like, "Mm, okay, maybe he's not as much of an asshole, Uh, at least in her eyes, where she's like, again, they're trying to chip away at her wall and her hard exterior, if anything. Anyway, so we do have uh, throughout this movie, though. Uh, we also have, um, again, I'm kind of all over the place and, you know, whatever. We find out that in the, near the beginning of the film, we find out that Sarah Lawrence is um, where Kat has applied and is going to want to go, uh, which, again, they're in Seattle. Sarah Lawrence is in, like, literal New York, so it's on the other side of the country pretty much. Uh, but, you know, she wants to go there. And, uh, again, the, the dad is kind of like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't want you to do that. But... Anyway, that's another little plot point. We do have this kind of overarching uh thing of Bogie Lowenstein uh, and his party that he's gonna have. So the thing is is that what ends up happening, because we have to have a party scene, obviously, it's a teen movie. But so we <laughs> So Bogie Lowenstein, he's like this kind of preppy guy. He's played by Kyle Cease, which actually funny enough, if you've ever watched the movie Not Another Teen Movie, which I will cover on the podcast at some point, um, uh, he is actually in that movie i believe he is the guy who's like the slow clap guy if i'm not mistaken i think he's in there um i think that's him actually but it's funny that he plays Bogie lovenstein then 10 things i hate about you uh which obviously is parodied in that film anyway Bogie Lowenstein, like he's gonna have this like little wine and cheese party or whatever at his house and um they get in this idea so cameron and um michael they get in this idea that like okay like uh there's this wine and cheese party, but you know what? We're going to make it so that it's going to be like this like other big party. Um, so they have the whole scene where like they have the flyers. They drop the flyers throughout the um, school on the staircase. And, you know, it's like this whole scene that they have um, so that people know about this party so that they, you know, have this. But we're getting to the party now because we've also kind of we've had some scenes of like, you know, so for example, Cameron and Bianca, they are kind of together. He starts tutoring her in French at some point um and anyway which is why she he's trying to get some of the information from her but also they have like a little scene where they go under a bridge or something they're like having a walk or whatever where he's trying to figure out her likes and dislikes from bianca um cats likes and dislikes but anyway um And so that's where she says, like, you know, well, she has, like, a picture of this guy in her room, so she might not be – she doesn't seem to be same-sex oriented. So, you know, okay, I guess. Anyway, back to the party, though, because there is a party scene. So we see, like, Bogey and his friends are, like, at his party, and then, like, there's, like, a knock on his door or whatever. And he's like, oh, that must be Nigel with the Brie, because, of course, he talks like that. But anyway, I uh, (laughs) – but then it's just, like, this huge party that happens that is just, like, you know, of course it's going to. But anyway, everyone's at this party now. So we got like Joey's there. We got, um, Kat and Kat ends up going, uh, with Patrick, I believe. Oh, because there is a scene, uh, a little bit before that, though, where they decide to go to this party. So, like, Kat decides to go. She's like, all right, I'll guess I'll go. Um, and then Patrick's there as well. But we also have, um, And Bianca and her friend Chastity are there, and they're going to go to this party. Like you know, because they are saying like, "Oh, we're going to go study," but it's it's just a party, Mister Stratford. And there is the little scene that they have in there before they go to this party, where they have um, <laughs> they have like a pregnancy belly that like uh, Mister Stratford just has, and he just like makes uh his daughters wear every so often. Be like, I don't know. He's just like uh, the thing I like about the adults in this movie is that they're just so kind of ridiculous in a way, uh, but they're kind of like the smartest people in the movie, honestly. Um, anyway, but they go to this party though. Right. So Patrick goes to the party with cat as well. And, and again, just so that they have a chance to Bianca has a chance to go and do something normal or whatever. And so they end up going to this party and a lot happens at this party, man. So cat like becomes upset when she sees like Bianca with Joey, because again, she sees that and she's just like, uh, like, no, you shouldn't be with him. Like, you know, because of this she decides that she's going to drink and just decides to get drunk and during this time so we see that we also see um, that cat is starting to open up to patrick a little bit because again he's actually like by her side and trying to tend to her as best he can uh, which is very nice um (laughs) she expressed her interest in like starting a band and wanting to do that as well. So she gets like obliterated drunk pretty much. Um, and there's a scene where like she gets on a table, she starts dancing, which is very out of character for cat, but she's drunk. So, you know, obviously her inhibitions are down. And so like, um, but she hits her head and she may have a concussion. And again, Patrick is there attending to her. He takes her outside, takes her to a swing. And then they start talking, talking, talking. Um, She then throws up on his shoes at some point, uh, but before that does say that he has a little bit of green in his eyes, which is very nice. And again, it's trying to show that like they are into one another and that they seem to care for each other, I guess. Um, But Kat tries to actually kiss Patrick, but Patrick is not here for it. And Kat is like pissed off and mad about that. Um, So that whole scene kind of happens too. But again, you're trying to, they're trying to get a little bit closer with one another. Meanwhile, though this is happening, uh, so Bianca ignores Cameron uh, in favor of Joey, um, so Cameron's kind of pissed about this, and he's not happy about it, but okay. So, because again, we've all known this whole time that, like, she's into Joey, so, like, even though we know, okay, Cam, we want you to have this, but, like, I guess, um, but why should he have her, actually? There's not even a reason, but, like we, we know that the conceit of this is that Cameron is interested in her and he just ends up getting kind of ignored by her. But then what ends up happening is Bianca realizes that Joey is like shallow and self-absorbed. Like he doesn't really care about anybody else but himself. And she comes to this realization and she's just like, oh, okay. Like maybe I, she's also younger than everybody too. So like, she's coming to this, realization and she's just like eh, maybe i'm not interested in this guy that much and so she ends up asking cameron for a ride home because i believe it's that patrick drives because uh, a cat has a car patrick drives cat home uh and all that this is where that's where they uh, try to kiss i think so he throws up on the shoes that all happens and then he tries to, uh she tries to kiss him in the car and that doesn't really work so that happens and then I guess later in the night perhaps um, Cameron because I guess he has his own car drives Bianca home and Cameron talks about his feelings for Bianca and his frustration with how she's been you know treating him and all of this and he just lays down on the table and so she responds by kissing him because I guess because Joey is an asshole she's deciding oh maybe i'm kind of interested in cameron a little bit like why not like he seems to be interested in me and that's good but i i even think like she talks a little bit like because he you know cameron asks like you know oh well you know have you always been this selfish and even she says like yes like you know and i, I don't know like she's just kind of learning to try to be like i don't know she's just coming to these these realizations because she's just a young person lady she's a young person you know and and so maybe she, she hasn't really had to deal with this as much and just having to kind of go through that We have all this going on, so kind of a standstill for this. In this situation, like, Joey decides to kind of come back into the story. He offers to pay Patrick to take Kat to the prom so that he can take Bianca. Because Joey's interested in Bianca, even though Bianca's not all interested in him anymore. Patrick initially refuses to do this, um, but he relents when he offers him more money, and he's like, okay, I guess I could do this, right? So Kat, in the meantime, is still angry with Patrick, but we do get the scene of, um, she's pissed off at him, but, like, uh, we have a scene where Patrick ends up taking, I think, some of the money that he, um, he's gotten from Joey and actually has the marching band of the school, but we see that, uh, Kat also is a soccer player as well, so she's practicing soccer out on the, um, the field And we see that uh, (laughs) there's a whole elaborate uh, stage show um, out on the field in the bleachers uh, by Patrick to I Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli. Apparently, and I don't know how true this is, but apparently Patrick or Heath Ledger uh, was influenced a little bit by Showgirls for his performance in this. Um, you know, listen, we we love a good Showgirls here and there, so why not? But yeah, so he kind of like is serenading her, and you know, she she I she does smile, and she's just like, oh, that's nice. Like nobody ever did that for me. Like oh, that's nice and so in turn cuz he gets detention for doing that of course and this scene is obviously parodied in Not another teen movie by Chris Evans but anyway so she, he's put in detention because of this whole thing and she then actually helps him sneak out of detention by because her her actual i think it's her coach is the guy doing detention or whatever and so she like comes into the classroom where detention's happening and she pretty much like is distracting uh, her coach trying to let him trying to distract him so that Patrick can get out or whatever. She ends up flashing him her bra, I guess. I don't know what the hell this movie was going for, but again, it's a teenage hijinks comedy or whatever. So uh, okay, dude, that's weird, but whatever. Anyway, but because they have now been able to sneak out, um, they go on a date. Uh, they go like paddling or something like um, whatever the fuck they call that thing on the on the the shore uh not the shore uh like on the water <laughs> like it's just gonna show how much i know about water stuff but anyway but it's nice because you know like they have that little thing right there they also have i think their paintball date if i'm not mistaken which is where they go to this like uh and it's not paintball like with a paintball gun it's like literal paint in balloons and you throw them at people which is super fun which is referenced in the movie do revenge um from 2022 uh because they do have scene with that going on with um, with the main chick in that movie. Uh, Drea I think her name is but anyway but yeah so it it turns romantic because they end up kissing and like you know it's all very cute and nice and so and they come back to the Stratford home where we find out about like a little bit more about uh, Patrick's character like uh, why the hell does he have oh by the way he has like an Australian accent and so because he's Heath Ledger but like you know (laughs) but she's like well what's with the accent and he's like you know I spent my first like 10 or 12 years in Australia so that's why I have an accent Anyway, but she becomes a little suspicious, though, because he is insisting, Patrick is insisting, that she go to prom with him, and she's just like, why is this so important to you? Um, She's completely against it, and for whatever reason, she just feels like it's, like, kind of a weird, antiquated thing. Um, Throughout the movie, we see her ripping down, like, the, the prom... Uh, posters, and the same girl is just like, hey! You know, and so, like, we have that going on. So she's just kind of, like, suspicious, and she's just, like, upset with it, right? And so on the flip side, back with the other Trafford sister, uh, with Bianca, so Bianca's kind of irritated because Cameron has not asked her to prom yet, because, again, she's kind of interested in Cameron, but, I don't know, Cameron's just not doing it. And so she decides to accept joey's invitation because joey asks her to prom and so she decides to take him up on that offer Uh, but walter of course will not let that happen until unless Kat goes too. you know so and again like this is a whole thing because you know bianca is all like i just want to go to prom and just do the normal stuff like i'm the only sophomore that got invited um so like i want to be able to go like why can't i go Um, This is where we do have our scene where, um, so we have Bianca and Kat, uh, Bianca's in a room and Kat comes into the room with her. And this is where Kat decides to confess to Bianca that... In freshman year, she dated Joey, actually, and of course, she wouldn't have known that necessarily. Because of peer pressure, just in general, Kat ended up having sex with Joey, even though she wasn't really all that interested, and she really regrets it, actually. And then because um, she didn't want to have sex with him anymore, she dumped him, Um, So she vowed never to do anything like that again just because everyone else was doing it. Which I guess also kind of goes into the whole thing with not doing prom or whatever. So this is kind of where we're supposed to go with like this is why Cat is the way she is because even in the beginning if you noticed Cameron asks about like her sister right like you ask Bianca like oh what's the thing about your sister and she's just like her Bianca all that she knows is just like yeah she used to be really popular but now she's not so it's like and she just like turned into a bitch so this is like I guess supposed to be like why she is the way she is which again your mileage may vary I guess because Again, I guess you could have a bad experience with somebody, but should that turn you off from the whole rest of the world? I don't know about that, but you know, that's what I think at least. But hey, everyone processes stuff differently. Bianca, though, insists that she can make her own choices um, because she also gets into the thing of like, you know, because Kat is the older sister, you know, she gets into this thing of like, you know, I thought I was like, you know, helping to teach you a lesson or like, you know, I just wanted to protect you. And she's like, well, maybe it's not your job to protect me, Um, which again is kind of a fair point. Like, you know, you can't just let me not experience things just because you may have done something like doesn't mean I'll have the same experience and don't just shelter me from the world. Uh, I think that that's Bianca's apex, if you will, of that kind of point is that like, it is just like, don't just like make me, (laughs) don't just shelter me from the world. uh, Especially when I'm not asking for it. Like, you know, I want to be able to date and I want to be normal, quote unquote. Um, And you're, what with like how her father is and then also how cat is kind of like has kind of fed into that this is where we just this is where cat decides she's like all right well you know what like she agrees to go to the prom with patrick she's like all right you know what like if you really want to i will go and i will do this for you because she wants to be a good older sister and she wants to at least be like all right well if that's what you want to do like i will let you make your own decisions you know but but bianca decides to actually go with cameron instead of joey because we have the whole scene where we're wrapping up soon but like cat decides to go with patrick she's like all right let's go so bianca decides to go with cameron um and we also have a scene somewhere in there where chastity ends up going with Joey, I guess, is what happens, I guess. Um, which I think is actually what happens. All's going well, you know, and all that. Um, so they go to the prom and you know, because we do have like the scene where they're all leaving and all that kind of stuff, and then Joey actually ends up showing up at the Stratford house after they've all left. And then of course, like uh Walter's like, no. <laughs> he just like closes the door on him. But they're all going to prom. But Joey's pissed, of course, because he thought he was going to go with Bianca. Uh, but she—he's not. Um, and anyway, so all's going well at the prom, though. You know, um, you got the—I think it's the band Save Ferris it's them and also letters to Cleo also end up showing up as well. Uh, but they have the whole band there and it's a, like a fun little time. Uh, Mandela also gets her own little thing where like, um, she's had the secret admirer, uh, cause we forgot about her a little bit, but like she has a secret admirer because she's very much into William Shakespeare. And so she has a secret admirer who like left her this like sonnet or whatever. And it was like very cute and nice. And we end up finding out who that is a little bit later in the, the movie. And actually, we find out that it's actually Michael. So, like, literally, we find out that Mandela and Michael, they end up getting together because, you know, why not? But David Crumholtz, listen, call me. So all's going well until Bianca learns that Joey, because she learns this from chastity, actually, planned to have sex with her that night. And she was like, what the fuck? No, like, gross. So angry... So again, Joey's pissed because Bianca has spurned him for Cameron because um, he's like, you know, like <laughs> he's, he's like, why would any girl do that? Blah blah blah, whatever. Oh, she ends up so because he's so pissed that he ends up calling Bianca a bitch. I don't think he calls her that to his her face, but I think she do, he does say it to Cameron though. So in this meantime, at the whole dance, Joey, because he's mad, he reveals this whole arrangement with Patrick where he was being paid by Patrick to go and take his, um, Cat out. So Cat is, like, annoyed and pissed because she's just, like, she she's mad about it, of course, which, again, they're trying to, like, Patrick's trying to kind of salvage whatever he can with Cat, but, like, that doesn't work, really. And, again, they're teenagers, quote-unquote. Actually, I think, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Larissa Olenik. I think we're all actually teenagers, uh, where everyone else is a little bit older. But anyway... But you have their whole thing going on. But then you also do have because Joey's pissed, and um, this is where he calls Bianca a bitch. So he like uh, Joey punches Cameron uh, because again he's pissed off at him. Uh, but then is beaten up by Bianca though uh, for having hurt her, for having hurt Cat, hat, and also for hurting Cameron. And so Bianca and Cameron they end up having a nice little kiss. I am not going to lie. I do like the scene where he does get punched in his face because Joey really deserves it. He's an asshole. But again, it's this whole kind of thing going on. Uh, Again, we are left with that with Patrick and Kat, um, which, again, is a shitty thing. And it, you know, it is a shitty thing. And it's not the best um, to to leave off on. So the next day after the prom, um, Bianca reconciles with Kat. Because it was really nice for her to be able to go to prom and, and you know, this is where like, uh, Kat is like outside on her giant veranda she has, uh, at her house. Um, and so like, she's like drawing or something and Bianca starts dating Cameron. They're going out to like a little boating thing or something like that, um, which is nice. And Walter admits, um, to Kat that he is, uh, that she is capable of taking care of herself, Because, again, he's just so worried. Again, maybe it was because, like, he himself is like, I guess, a a Julian doctor. But again, he's also gone through whatever he did with his wife. So he wants to protect his girls, um, which is kind of the whole thing with this kind of thing. And actually gives her permission to go to Sarah Lawrence. He's put money down already uh, for her to go. And they like share a big hug and everything, which is very nice. So throughout this, uh, there was my favorite character, Mr. Morgan. He assigned like poetry, like a sonnet kind of assignment for William Shakespeare. So for this assignment where the students are to write their own versions of Sonnet 141, Kat gets up and reads uh, aloud a poem called 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, in which she reveals that she is still technically in love with Patrick. Um, I guess I'll read it for you now, if you'd like. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much. It makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact you didn't call. But mostly, I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close, not even a little bit, not even at all. And of course, she like tears up and cries throughout the thing. So that is the little 10 things I hate about you little like a uh, poem. And it's showing that she still loves Patrick. Um, and so he's like taken aback and, and all that. So uh, we're nearing the end. So like Kat is on the way out to her car. And uh, earlier we had seen because he was following her around to like the Fender store with guitars and like a bookstore as well. Um, again, trying to kind of get a lay of who she was really. So he actually surprises her. Um, that was the scene where um, she knocks into Joey's car or whatever but she uh is surprised by a strender, uh, Fender Stratocaster um, that Patrick gets for her uh, bought with the money that he was paid by Joey and they have that whole scene of like you know hey like you know I was an idiot. Some jerk like paid me to go out with this girl, but I ended up falling for her. And he confesses that he's fallen in love with her. So then, Kat ends up forgiving him, and they make up with a kiss. And then they kiss in the parking lot. And you know, and she's just like, you know, every time, like if you mess up, like you can't just buy me a guitar every time. Um, and so yeah, and then we end our movie uh, with good old letters to cleo singing i want you to want me and they're literally doing it on the the top of this like fucking gorgeous ass school that they have um which apparently was a really scary thing to do actually (laughs) um but yeah it's like a very memorable ending to this movie and everything like that but yeah everybody and that is the end of 10 things i hate about you So in regards to wrapping up about 10 things I hate about you in particular, um, you know, for this movie, uh, I am somebody who does enjoy this movie to a point, you know, again, there are some things where I kind of look at and I'm like, "Ugh, it doesn't always work the best, uh, when you look at it through like, you know, modern lenses or whatever, but like overall, I still think it's like a fun little movie that's very of its time. Um, it's got some good bops in there every so often, you know, so I like that. And it also has, like, this movie really, like, catapulted someone like a Julia Stiles or even a Heath Ledger into uh, a level of fame, you know. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course. And, I mean, it really did that for a lot of people. So, um, you know, it was definitely a springboard for a lot of folks. Um, It then also... uh, created a television show where i think larry miller came back for it which i never have seen in my life but uh, apparently it wasn't very good but uh you know uh this has it has its own legacy within like the teen movie sphere um and you know i i think this is a uh it's a fun little movie for what it is i think um and again, your mileage may vary when it comes to it, but I tend to like it. Um, if you want to watch it, if you have a Desi Plus account, um, if you haven't already gotten rid of yours or anything because of, you know, the writer's strike, um, support WAGA and sag after, of course. But uh and maybe you don't, you don't have to get rid of your streamers, I guess, but whatever you want to do, but, uh, you can watch on Disney plus it's always on there. Uh, and thankfully it's a PG 13 movie anyway, so they don't have to really like edit a whole lot of it, but also sometimes it makes the rounds on like Tubi every now and then, um, I think I've seen it on there before. Um, so it does make the, the round on some other streamers, I think, um. I don't think it's just on Disney Plus all the time. Um it, it is on some other ones every so often, which is fine. But uh but yeah, I would definitely say if anything, like if you are a fan of obviously of teen movies, um especially from the nineties, or if you, I guess you like adaptations of literature, um, this could be a fun one to do. It's loosely based on Tame of the Shrew. So um I would go into it and see how you like it for yourself. But yeah, definitely take a look at it and I think it is definitely at least worth a watch. Uh, if you've ever seen it before. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you'd like to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd just like to say hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the show on Instagram at cultcinemacircle and on Twitter at cultcinemacircle. I tend to announce the movies that I'm going to be covering and just interact with people on there if they want. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On that platform, I tend to log the movies that I watch, I write little stupid reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast where I'll be covering 1996's Matilda. An extraordinarily intelligent young girl from a cruel and uncaring family discovers she possesses telekinetic powers and is sent off to a school headed by a tyrannical principal. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast and remember, someday you're going to get bitch slapped and I'm not going to do a thing to stop it. Take care. Bye.